Are you curious about how you might have a more fulfilling work life? Well, you're not alone. In fact, the numbers show us that many of us want more fulfilling work lives. I'm Susan Mikriadon, your host. And as a finance director, ops director and leadership coach, who has lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences and perspectives. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the people side of work life and explore ways to let your uniqueness shine through by sharing insights, stories, strategies and techniques to inspire your work life. Welcome to episode 43 of Life Beyond the Numbers. Before we get started with the episode, I wanted to let you know that the sound quality for the first few minutes is not great, but we adjusted the settings and it improves after that. So apologies for the sound quality in the first few minutes, but as I said, it improves. And so please do listen to the full episode. Enjoy. So today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Luke Kite from Redico. Luke, you're very welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here today to hopefully inspire some other companies and people to, to take the route we've done. Yes, and we are going to talk about that route because it is just a fascinating case study. And it's real. <laughs> it's real life. So I think the first thing that strikes me, Luke, as a company, you're very conscious of not standing still. And from an outsider, that's what jumps out at me. So firstly, I want to say then congratulations on your recent awards. Best agency with staff under 50 in the inaugural company culture awards and named as the fifth best place to work in the UK for the second year in a row, the top five. I mean, it's incredible. And the company isn't even 10 years old. (laughs) Amazing. So maybe you just start by telling us who and what is Redico? Yeah, sure. So Redico founded in 2012. Initially, it's just an SEO agency. So for those who don't know it, it's search engine optimization. It's all about helping businesses and brands be seen on Google and obviously bowing down to Google's wishes and how they want to their algorithm and do all their stuff so I don't know too much on the technical side of things it's not my my area but that's kind of where we started as a business we've grown over the years um, and we offer a lot more sort of technical solutions as well go out to our in-house dev team and software team and offer clients a lot more when it comes to that so it's all very much marketing agency digital side of things which does lend itself well to the approach we've taken it's, it'd be silly of me to sort of sit here and say that what we do is suitable for absolutely every single industry and they can take this and just implement it straight away because it's not and, and you do have to sort of tweak things and change things and, and see what works for you and what doesn't um, so we're, we're lucky that in the industry we're working but yeah so going about 10 years now I think it's our 10 year anniversary next year and just been I suppose growing really quickly over those years we were sort of named as, as like the fastest growing company in Europe and we've appeared in sort of the FT 
on thousands of Deloitte lists and places like that. Just, I suppose, just a really quick growing company and hopefully just going somewhere really, really cool. Brilliant. And often quick growing companies struggle, I think, because it can take people by surprise. But maybe before we get into that, Luke, it would just be interesting to know when you joined Redico and a bit about you as well. Yeah, sure. So I joined Redico in 2014, so a couple of years after after it was founded. Like all businesses, great businesses sort of founded in the spare bedroom of the, the founder's house, and that's where they all, they all grow from. Um, and so it was probably sort of 2013, 2014 that he really started to start hiring sort of outside of bringing people in. And I initially joined Redico as a content writer, a copywriter. So my background is in journalism. I studied journalism at university with all these ambitions of going to London and, and writing through, I don't know, sports journalism or something like that, or whatever it might have been. And I suppose when I graduated in 20, ooh, when was it, 2011 maybe, um, it was at the time where actually everything was obviously going more digital than print-based journalism, and there was more redundancies going on in the industry. There was lots of sort of question marks over sort of what was working, what wasn't working, especially from the, from the local side. And sort of local journalism was really struggling at the time, and probably still is to this, this day. And so I had to make the decision at the time to not really go into journalism. So I went into copywriting, content writing. So I joined initially as that content writer. Over time, as the company grew, I was probably sort of team member number sort of four or five. There was only a few of us at the time. Started to build out the content team, the content marketing team, sort of hired other people in to join that team, build out the processes of that. I was in the fortunate position where when you're one of the first in the door of a company, you also start to get exposure to other areas of the business as well because people put on multiple hats for doing all these different bits. So one of the hats I was putting on was processes and operations and helping to put together the, the frameworks and the foundations to help grow the business. So as I started to do that, I realized I had quite a knack for just getting things done and being able to kind of be logical and thinking about things and improving things and, and making things better. So I then eventually stepped away from the content side of it around 20, end of 2016, 2017, moved into more of an operational perspective. And then when we really started focusing on the cultural side of business, which I'm sure we'll touch on after this, I then switched into becoming head of culture to roll out these changes and to change the way the business is working. And since then, I haven't looked back and it's been that whirlwind adventure, I suppose, of going from very much a traditional business and way of thinking to where we are now, which is a lot more progressive, a lot more radical, a lot more forward-thinking, and hopefully where the future of culture is. So the head of culture, I think traditionally lies with, people would see that as a HR type person often. And was that quite a job to take on then, the head of culture or tell us about that. (laughs) Did you have a cultural revolution as well as Redico? (laughs) Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, when, I suppose when we first started this journey, as a company, it was very much, we, did, we, we didn't really have a HR department. So we had someone externally that dealt with our HR issues. As a company, we didn't really have many things that came up. There may be like things here and there that, that would need to be looked at from the HR side, but it wasn't the case when we needed a full-on department or someone in the house dealing with stuff on a day-to-day basis. It was more of like a, a consultancy type thing, especially around like contracts and things like that, where we needed to do things. So I suppose initially it didn't really start as a, traditional head of people, HR type role, it was very much a case of 
this is what we want to do and this is where we want to get to like how are we going to do that and it was my responsibility then to put together that plan and that roadmap and that i suppose how it's going to work and how's it how's it going to look going forward so i think it's evolved into more of a head of people role head of culture and people type thing but at the, the time it's very much just more of the framework of the business brilliant so that must have been a bit of a daunting task there's a cultural revolution you're handed a, a roadmap or a manifesto yeah, what so, came next? <laughs> so I mean, I can go through the process if you like, in terms of where that manifesto came from, just to kind of explain that. So I suppose as a background to, to Redico and where we were, since the company was founded, it was always focused on creating a fun place to work. As, as like no company founds itself and thinks, oh, we're going to create this horrible place to work. We're going to micromanage people. We're going to um, create these toxic workplace cultures. Like nobody's going to want to come and work here. Like no one starts with that that ambition. It just happens to sort of materialise over time. We started with the same sort of good intentions of becoming a fun place to work. And we had a beer fridge and nights out, company events. And we even go away on an annual retreat. We've been to Budapest and Barcelona. We've been skiing as a team. And they were like really good, fun events, good team building, good bonding. But I suppose we got to the sort of the end of, well, middle of 2017, end of 2017. And the company was growing very quickly. We were sort of tripling in numbers and then more and more people joining from different um, other agencies or joining as their, as their first job or coming from more senior position things like that and you've got all these different cultures coming together in one place and we started to realize actually while we had focused on creating a fun place to work we had missed a lot of the the important ingredients that create the culture which is around putting people first and giving people more responsibility and trust and freedom to be able to work in a way that's right for them. And I think we went, we went through kind of that, I suppose it's, um, I'm trying to think of the right word for it, but it's kind of a, a moment in time where you've got, you can either change it or you continue as you are and it kind of just stays the same or gets a bit worse. And I think that's what happens in a lot of companies. It just, one small thing sort of trickles on, becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, sort of snowball effect. It just, it gets worse and worse and it's too big to handle. We were still small enough where we could change it. And so the directors looked at the, the business and where it was and felt that actually there were issues that were bubbling beneath the service that we needed to deal with. And that was things like micromanagement. That was things like people being confused about what the flexibility looked like at the company. Why can this person come in at 10 o'clock and I can't? Why can that person work from home and I can't? Who creates the rules? Who decides when and where people can and can't work? There was sort of like clicks were starting to form, all these like little things that you get as you get a growing company. And it was just that kind of breaking point where we really needed to, to focus on this. And so the directors of the business sort of, again, like really important because if you don't have the leadership team on board or the founders or the board, whatever it might be, the directors, you're not going to make change. And so it really needs them to, to be for this and be pro this. And so they kind of went away and tried to work out, okay, what would a better business look like? And this was going out and reading books, um, speaking to other companies, speaking to businesses that do these different types of things. I suppose it's similar to what I get now is I get people contacting me to find out how we do things, how things work. And so back in the day, that was exactly what, what we were doing. And there's books like Maverick. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of that one. So it's by from Richard Semlar and Semco and how they completely revolutionized that company culture and went from traditional frameworks and, and rules and approvals to freedom and, and people having that trust and responsibility. Other books like The Happy Manifesto, all of these books that helped to start changing the way that the directors thought about how we could run the business for the better. And so this manifesto started to materialize in six 
core areas initially that he wants to change the business. At the time, the word self-management was never sort of said because that was something that we didn't even think of. Later down the line, we started looking more into like reinvented organizations and Frederick Lelou and all of that types of stuff where we evolved to now. But at the time it was okay, well, what are the, the problems at the moment? Where are the issues that we've got and we need to solve? And, and one of them was management. So how can we move away from having managers to creating teams that work autonomously and work together to create a, a better place? How can we move to a place where people have got more ownership over their job and can set their own targets? How can we get to a place where we have those 360 reviews where it's like peer-to-peer feedback and constant improvement rather than having appraisals and, and people setting people's salaries, uh, moving to more progressive ways of salary panels and things like that and uh, bring it, changing the recruitment to make sure we bring in the right people to, to help drive this vision and this culture and this way of thinking forward as well. So there's different areas of the business initially that wanted to change and it was at that point, I think, that I was still working from that operational side and Nick, who's the managing director, just sort of said to me out of the blue, like, this is the manifesto. We want you to roll it out. Um, And at that point, I mean, I'll be completely honest. When I first read the manifesto, it was probably 4,000 words long. I thought, oh, this isn't going to work. I I read that and I thought, people working when, how, where they want, like no rules, like complete freedom. Like, it just sounds like a a real utopian future that not really is, yeah, like not relatable to anything. Like, it's just just a a pipe dream. It's nothing going to happen. And so I just kind of sat down, I suppose, the first was just digesting this, this manifesto and thinking, okay, well, how do I get on board with it? And so I had to then embrace that world because it's a strange thing that when you're working from a very traditional mindset and way of thinking, because it's the way everyone's brought up, like it's natural that you kind of fit into the system that's always in place rather than start questioning it and thinking about things in a different way. But once you start digging under the surface, there's this this whole world <laughs> underneath where all of these people are doing this stuff and practicing things and testing things. It's, it's absolutely huge. And so I had to just invest myself into this subcultural working world <laughs> to work out exactly okay, how does it actually work and, and getting case studies and speaking to people and finding out exactly how that might be. Looking at the manifesto and saying, well, actually this type of stuff would be quite easy to roll out. This type of stuff is going to take a lot longer. So just putting into place like the roadmap from that point perspective of like, okay, what can we do now? What's going to take longer? Where, where can we sort of get the ball rolling? Because the last thing you want is to show this to the team and to say, look, we're here and we want to get to here. This is this great future place we want to be. And they don't see any progression. Mm. You want to be constantly rolling things out, constantly changing things so that they know it's not just you saying stuff that you're not going to sort of back up and not going to follow through on. And so that was what 2018 was, it was rolling out this manifesto of change and getting to the point where we'd, I suppose, just lifted all that traditional framework and got to the point where people could choose when and how they worked, like where they worked. We removed managers from the system. We've got people setting their own targets. We removed appraisals and salary setting and introduced sort of different ways of being able to cope with those traditional systems and ways of being. And then from that, it was, okay, we've now got the foundations in place for this culture. What do we do next? Because with culture, it's one of those things where it does constantly evolve and constantly change. And I know you talked about it at the start, but if you stand still, you'll end up going backwards (laughs) because ultimately it's like a game of culture. Even think of it as a competition as well, in terms of you've got everyone else that's going to catch up. And especially from a recruitment perspective, it's bringing on the best talent, the best people that want to join your company. If you're not evolving, you're not growing, you're not offering something different to other companies, you you don't have any standout reasons to, to be there. And so for us, it's just constantly evolving, constantly pushing things forward, testing things, trying things, see what doesn't work, 
keeping the team involved all the time, like even through the initial rollout, it was a case of, I don't have all the answers to this. We want to remove managers. I don't know how we do that completely. So I need to ask the team, like, what do you think about this? Or how might this work? Or how could we do salaries a different way? Or how do we remove appraisals, but still have some kind of good feedback loop and feedback process? So keeping that team involved throughout has been really key. Even to this day, we had a, a conversation yesterday with the whole team on transparent salaries. I think it was in the initial manifesto and before it went to the team, the idea of having transparent salaries and moving to that. But at the time, because of where the culture was, we weren't at the place where it could happen. It would, it was, it would cause problems, it would cause conflicts, naturally with all that type of stuff that you get when it comes to money and salaries. But we feel like we've got to a better place now where we can start having those conversations. And even though on, on, on the sort of the all-team call we had yesterday, there were people that are for it, there are people that are on the fence, there are people that aren't really sure, not really, not really pro at the moment. But we've got to the place where we can have those conversations in an open and safe space. And psychological safety is a really important thing that comes up a lot. And it, like someone joined the company in January this year, and yesterday they were one of the most open and expressive people on that call about what they, their opinion was when it came to transparency salaries, which just goes to show that actually we've managed to create this space where it's not just about fun and frills and sort of ticking boxes and, and trying to create sort of like a, I don't know, something to showcase and to show people, but actually we've created this safe space where people can come to work and be themselves and can be honest and can give feedback and, and can do that. And it does take time. Like, as you said, it's not like an overnight thing. It takes... For us, it's taken three years to get to that point, but it's been a, a good journey so far. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> There's just so much in there. Luke, it's Sorry, hard to know. Almost... <laughs> no, it's, it's fascinating. And hopefully everyone listening is fascinated by this and that's why they're listening. But there will be people going, you what? You got rid of managers? Uh, you tell me what? <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about that. What, you know, it's hard to manage, it's hard to manage, it's hard to imagine <laughs> life without managers. Yeah. So what happens instead? Yeah, it's hard to imagine life without managers because we've always had managers. And we've never questioned it. We've always thought that there's going to be someone in the system that's going to say yes or no, approve things. It's your go-to person. And we started to have the sense and the feeling that why do we have to have that in place? Why can people who are adults, um, who are capable and responsible and able to do things, why do they need this person to kind of make decisions for them or to approve things or to tell them what they should and shouldn't be doing and to do that? Why can't we trust people? Why can't we believe the best in people, believe that people are able to do the right thing. And I suppose what's interesting with everything when it comes to frameworks of, of, of businesses and the way that businesses work is they're always built around the 5% of people who will abuse the system or take the mic. And so we put in place all these stoppers and, and these systems that, that stop things from happening rather than building it for the 95% of the people that won't and can handle these types of situations and can do it. Um, so I always think that's, that's the wrong way around. We like reverse the, the problem. So that's one thing to look at is, is, is how you're actually thinking and framing that situation. But we also wanted to move to a self-managed system because it just seems to me to make sense that rather than having people working for a boss or for a manager, they're actually working for each other. And you can create these network of teams that actually 
set their own targets, know what their ambitions are, know where they need to go, can work together to do that, can manage themselves as, as a team of individuals rather than with someone in charge pulling the strings and almost like the puppet master at the top. And I know that people will be listening to this thinking I'm bad mouthing managers. That's not the case because you get some really good managers and really good people, people. Uh, people, people, but uh, <laughs> I know but, what you mean. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but but ultimately, as long as you've got someone who is higher in the food chain, you will always be stopping people from being able to take full responsibility because they they don't take that responsibility because there's someone else there to take it for them. And I suppose one of the issues that you find with, with traditional management and the ways that things work is that often we promote people into management positions for the wrong reasons. So in typical management, you have two types of, of role. You've got role A, which is around the, the skills, the expertise, the knowledge, the background, those kind of core skills that someone might have. And then you've got role B, which is all around those people skills. So being able to empower and support and encourage and motivate and really push people forward. And a lot of the time in, in management, we promote people based on role A, which is their skills and experience, rather than actually how effective they are at being able to manage people. Um, and that's kind of left to the, the side or it's thought of afterwards as kind of a, a second thing. And so for us, we didn't really want to have that. We wanted people to be able to, I suppose, work through the company and get to a place where they could be the best they could be at their particular role and not have to manage people to progress, which is one of their problems. It's a case of in a business, you have to become a manager to actually get somewhere. Um, we're actually, why don't we just have it that you can be really good at your job <laughs> and, and, and be just as successful and just as much money, take on just as much responsibility. And so yeah, back in the day, so 2018, we decided to, to split that role entirely. So we introduced coaches to help with like sort of the reflection and the feedback period. People choose coaches that aren't in their departments as well to encourage more reflection, to make sure that people aren't giving people the answers. So for instance, I'm a coach to various people. You pick your own coach as well. So it's not like you're given a coach, you've got people put themselves forward as a coach and you can choose from this list of people, people that feel resonate with you. Because ultimately I might find one person really good to talk to, but maybe not someone else or that I don't click as much sort of in, in a one-time conversation. So it's all about the individual really and who they're most comfortable with. And then we also introduced, I suppose, more of like people lead in that department that can help to just grow that department going forward. Because ultimately, in any department, even though it's a very flat structure in a department, there still needs to be someone who is able to kind of see where that area needs to go. When everyone else is doing the work, you need someone sort of doing the work, but also having the strategic sort of foresight and the mindset to take it forward as well. Um, but they don't have any people responsibilities. They're not responsible for appraisals or salary setting or anything like that. It's very much just that strategic role of growing the area of the business. And then we've also introduced the way of distributing responsibilities because we found that even though we divided those two roles up, we removed the managers, divided those, those responsibilities, that various people were taking a lot of responsibilities. So it was almost like they're managers, but not managers at the same time in, in sort of all that name. So we went for another exercise where we had a list of all the responsibilities of um, a typical manager. So it might be probations and salary setting and training and all that kind of stuff. Every team sat down, looked at this list and decided who was the best person to do each of these roles. So it was no longer a case that person A is going to do all of them or, or half of them, person B is going to do the other half. Actually, person A, B, C, D and E distribute these responsibilities because they're the best people for the role. And you've got things like conflict resolution. And someone in the team who hasn't been a manager before, but is really, really good at listening and supporting and being there and, and 
being compassionate and being able to listen to both sides is now the person that deals with conflict resolution. You've got someone who's actually really good at supporting people that can help with the training side of things. You've got someone that actually quite likes the, the strategic element of it, which is going to be responsible for the strategic side of the business. So it's breaking down these boundaries and saying, actually, we've got eight people in this department, all with their own unique set of skills. If you want to take on extra responsibility and help grow this department, like this is how we do it. And we can constantly review these responsibilities on a six monthly basis, like when new people join, it's distributed responsibilities again, just making sure that that happens. It seems to make a lot more sense than having one person that does everything. I know it sounds amazing because in the organisations I worked in, you often had the managers almost leaving the people side to HR. Oh, I can't deal with my team member or I can't manage the performance. HR has to do it. And they just want to focus on the technical side or they're just not good at people. And then HR is overstretched always. So now you've kind of like, yeah, just it's collective but people still have responsibility and accountability so it's not just a free-for-all either and it drives accountability because you've got more people with i suppose they they've got more of a i can't make can't the right words now but they're all in it together and they're all trying to drive this area of the business forward together and they're all working together collectively collaboratively and that accountability is then there so even though we don't have an official process if someone's not performing the team deal with that as, as a team rather than it being someone's responsibility to deal with that because of the way it works it's just holding people to account more driving responsibility more and it just it just seems to work better that way but does it work for everyone Luke you said it might not suit everyone and yeah. have you had incidences where people just can't cope with that for example we have and we haven't so since we did the initial manifesto since 2018 our retention rate has been close to 100% um, so since we started this. So we've had, it's, it's probably sort of in the 96, 97%, something like that. So we've had like, a couple of people leave here and there for various reasons. I suppose there was one person in particular that sort of decided to leave because they they didn't really like that structure and way of working more. They wanted to go and join a more traditional way of working, a more traditional structure that kind of fitted with them where actually promotions and, and management and that succession was a lot more straightforward and that was something that was important to them which is fine and and we're really open we do say that Redico isn't right for everyone uh, and that's absolutely fine like we, we appreciate that but what we also do is help people lead well so we have we, we open to having conversations with people and saying if Redico isn't right for you we will help you find something else and we've sat down with people in the past and helped them with um, their CVs and we put them in touch with our in-house recruiters so they can sort that out. We know that they've been going for interviews. If someone decides that it's not quite right for them or, or vice versa, there's like a three month window where they can have this opportunity to, to still be working at Redico, but be looking at other opportunities. And we put people in touch with people that we know as well and sort of really open doors of people. So for, for us, you never know where someone might go, who they might speak to, what they're going to say about Redico. So we want to make sure that experience is really strong regardless of if it doesn't quite work for you we want to make sure that people actually don't feel like they've been let down by ready it's the case of it's a real good relationship throughout amazing because they'll also then always speak highly of you as well i guess yeah. and it really sounds people first yeah absolutely well you mentioned retention i mean that's a brilliant number like 96 97 percent but 
one of the other ones that I've noticed, the revenue and profit. So revenue and profit increased 40% and 60% respectively following your culture shift. And client happiness has gone from 64 to 91. Yeah. <laughs> All of these metrics that you might look at from a business perspective in terms of someone thinking, okay, tell me the results. Like, that's all I want to know. Every single area you can think of has had a real positive uplift. Uh, and removing managers, introducing unlimited holiday, saying to people they can choose the hours that they work. These are all things that actually are quite radical. They're quite forward thinking, quite progressive. And they are also sort of unknowns. So you're sort of stepping into this unknown. Actually, what if it does go wrong? <laughs> That's one of the big questions. It sounds great. And I'm sure it'll be great. But what if it does go wrong? But ultimately, it's trusting people to, to be the best of themselves. And as you say, we've had, so our team NPS, our team score has gone up from around 46 to 96. And it's been world-class for I think, the last two years. We've obviously won some various awards recently from our cultural side. Last year, we won the best SEO agency in Europe in the European Search Awards. Our client NPS, as you mentioned, has jumped up to world-class. Revenues and profits as a company continue to increase. Despite, obviously, the last year has been shambolic in terms of the world and, and everything that's been going on. But we're at the fortunate position where we didn't have to do any forced furlough. We managed to ride through that, that storm pretty well. Obviously, like any business, we, we lost clients due to having to cut budgets or to pause. And obviously, we've got various clients in the hospitality industry and stuff that, that suffered. But I think we've, we've just been able to continually, as a business, grow and continue growing and throughout the pandemic we continue to recruit bring people in i think it's one of those things where transparency is really important as well and it was one of the things that at the start i wanted to do more of because we realized that transparency was something that we didn't really focus on too much and there was a lot of whispers around what was happening and then who knew what and what was going on and we just got to the point where everything is just that completely transparent the financials of the business revenues and profits all that kind of stuff it's kind of where the, the transparent salaries has come from it's like that next evolution of like transparency and that, that conversation but throughout the pandemic the, the managing director started to hold sort of weekly friday updates and say that this is now the state of play this is where we are these are the clients that are pulled like this is the money that we've got in the bank this is how we do it we've we, as an agency, we do things like having six to nine months of overheads just sat in the bank. So that if we did have any issues, like we, we're covered for ages. And, and just saying, this is where we are, this is how it's going, this is where we, we are as a business. And just having that level of transparency reassures people. It, it helps people to know that we're in a good place, in a safe space. It, it means that people can collectively find solutions as well and, and just grow the business. It's almost creating psychological business owners out of the team by being completely transparent and giving people that that full responsibility to, to manage themselves. And, and all those results have really just materialised from, from that dynamic of putting people first. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it is life beyond the numbers and the metrics. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I should probably add as well that holiday, when we introduce somebody's holiday, so holidays go up about 37% in the team and sickness has dropped down to about 0.46 days per person. Now, the average in the UK is 4.1%. Um, which just shows that from a health and well-being side as well, what we've done is have a real positive impact on the team. So they're taking more holiday and they're sick like a ridiculously few amount of days. So it's all round, it's just good, good stuff. And what about then, you were already set up, I guess, for flexible remote working and all of that before lockdown forced that situation on many organisations what's the future then Luke will you have some sort of hybrid do you plan on bringing everyone back you know have you where are you with that 
Yeah, so before the pandemic started, so before last March, we obviously had the full flexibility so you could do what you want, but people still tended to go into the office a reasonable amount of time. So there'd be days where it was really busy and, and lots of people going on. I think Tuesdays was always empty. There'd be like a couple of people in on Tuesdays. For some reason, that was the day everyone decided to work from home. Some people would never come in the office. Some people wanted to come in the office five days a week. We introduced it because everyone's different. And we know that ultimately everyone works in different ways. Some people love getting up in the morning. Some people like working in the evening. And actually productivity is at seven, eight o'clock at night. So who are we to say when you can and can't work or, or when the best time is for you to work? If you want to have a lie and work later in the day, do it. If that means you're going to get better results because of it, why force everyone to do nine to five when that's just not going to get the most from people? Obviously, since the pandemic, we became a remote first company. So we said, we're going to keep the office for people that need it. But we're also going to widen our horizons when it comes to recruiting people. And since then, we've brought in people from so someone's in Scotland now that's working in Scotland. We've got someone in Bristol. We've even got someone in Spain now that's working with the company. Someone's moving to Canada, so they're still going to be working from the company in Canada. So it's it's very much opened those doors to those types of people. And and then the office is obviously still there. I'm someone that likes to be. So beforehand, I was probably in the office like four days a week, something like that. I like being around other people. That's 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 who I am. I think since I, I still like to go a couple of days a week when I can, but obviously a lot more or happier now working from home now. I've actually got set up in an office and all that kind of stuff and, and can shut myself away. Um, and it's the same thing for everyone, really. It's just giving people that option. Mm. I think what you said about how everyone's different and <laughs> nine to five doesn't necessarily suit. You You also mentioned that people are contacting you to find out about different ways of working and that there's this whole underground almost (laughs) this black market of working this way (laughs) is there going to be a tipping point luke where more and more businesses go that way or is the traditional going to win over and i know that's a very big question it's not necessarily one you can answer (laughs) But I'm intrigued because, like you say, the books you mentioned and the world I'm in is Mm. there. But there are still so many businesses and people that think I have to go to work at nine until five or nine to six or whatever it might be. And I have to have a boss and I have to have annual leave and I have to fill out 27 forms to get a pen from the stationery cupboard. (laughs) It's a great question, and I suppose, I mean, the honest answer I don't really know, and not, I suppose no one really does. I suppose you can split it in two ways because I think the pandemic has definitely accelerated the way that people will work. And I know there's a lot of movement and talk about the four day week at the moment, and it's something that keeps coming up and, and people keep talking about. It. I know Spain have implemented it recently, more businesses in the UK are doing it. Um, I mean, I still personally feel like having full flexibility in how you work is better than the four day week, but that's a personal view because it gives you more power, I suppose, to, to manage yourself in that way. But I think people are having those discussions and more businesses that have those traditionally held views are now having those conversations with people. I mean, my my wife works for like a, a service, but basically they've been, they, they would normally sort of go to work and they have an office at space and all that kind of stuff. But now they've been having sort of conversation and what does that future look like um, for us? Like how can we actually do our job from home and, 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 and work just as to go out anyway and do visitation stuff but actually do we need to keep the office can we trust people to work in environment and stuff like that and build a different way of working and these are the things that all of these types of, of companies are going to start having i think there will be some instances where there is a revert back to what it used to be and you get those horrible situations where it's 
my manager's got a program on my laptop where they're watching what I do or taking screenshots and all that kind of stuff. So there's still pockets of distrust and issues there in other companies. I think the majority don't operate in that way and they are starting to think of, of different ways of approaching this, especially where it's possible. Um, so for me, I think the only benefit for the pandemic is it has accelerated this, this movement and then helped do that. The other side of it is around self-management, which I, as you mentioned, I'm always indoctrinated into this way of working and with these people and I'm in the same circles and stuff like that. And I hear from the same people. I, I feel like it's going to happen sooner than it probably will do because I don't speak to the people that don't do it as much. So that, that's my biggest flaw, an issue from that. And I, I suppose I can't really, I don't know, 10 years maybe, it might be more of a 50-50 in that approach. But that's a, a, a hope, I suppose, rather than an expectation. Yeah, there is a revolution of sorts happening and it has been thrust upon us. And like you said, I think they say that the changes accelerated by about 30 years in where if it had just happened piecemeal and that's incredible that's a whole generation of work that's been bypassed and some will definitely revert because they don't really know how to continue or it's financial or whatever it might be but I think there's a lot of people asking questions and people will demand it because if you were able to do your job from home in your own time well then why shouldn't you go and work for someone that will allow you that yeah and, and mindset shift is the big thing really that people need to focus on it's that shift in mindset and the best way to, to tackle it is just to open that conversation open that door and start talking to people about what could work what does work what are the frustrations because ultimately like directors leadership teams managers they're not front and center of what's going on and don't see the issues or the problems or actually this would be so much better if this happened so just having those conversations with people can really highlight some of the obvious things to them that may not be obvious to you also one of the points you made we're all different and if you've been 30 years going into an office Mm -hmm. and you've been two years there's a massive difference between what you believe is the way to work and what the other person does absolutely And I guess the kind of exciting thing is if you're involving everyone, it's quite hard to get it wrong. Mm. You know, if everybody's bought in to change, then as soon as people are uncomfortable with something, they're going to tell you. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a difficult one because one of the problems, funny enough, that we've had recently is that because we're such a collaborative collective company now it's almost as if we have to get everyone's buy-in before we do something and does that then slow down progression even more especially as you grow i think we've got to the point now where it's is it safe to try and if it isn't has anyone got any real standout reasons why it's not safe to try or do you think it's safe enough to try at the moment Um, and i think that's what a lot of companies should be looking at really is is it safe to try is there something that's actually going to be really kind of debilitating from this? Mm. So what if you were to double in size now, team-wise, Luke, if you went from the just under 50 or whatever to 100, mm. would that have a massive impact on 
what you're talking about just there. It, it will do because we've already seen sort of when people join the company, it takes a while to just to get used to the way things work. Like we talk about it a lot during interviews and recruitment and stuff about how things work and we share videos and we, we open up conversations around, is this the place where you think that you can thrive and you can work in this environment? Or do you have any questions about exactly how it works? Like someone's coming in and thinking, well, how do you, you work about managers or how does the advice process work or all these types of stuff. So we, we try to have these conversations as soon as we can. But ultimately, if someone's still going to come in, if they come from a traditional business, it'll take them a while to feel like they've actually got that freedom and that flexibility and no one is watching over their shoulder or, or yeah, or, or keep an eye on them and stuff like that. And it's kind of, for us, it's that constant message we're saying to people, this is, this is how it is. And it takes a while just to get used to that and, and to, to understand that actually that is really how it is. And it's not like trick or it's not kind of like we're just pretending that's what it is. And you're coming in and it will just be like it, like every other place. And it takes it takes a while for, for that to happen. But I think it shows that it does. That is the, the case because people come in and say, this is the best place that I've ever worked. Like people join and, and just say that. I, and I'm not like trying to just blow, blow their own trumpet type thing. I'm just being honest, I suppose. It's just like people who have come in and they've worked for multiple other agencies and they'll say like, the culture here is just far superior to anywhere I've ever been. Like I knew that, I'd, I'd spoken to people, there's this amount, I'm, I'm trying to pretend to be someone else. Like they'll say, I've spoken to people about working at Redico, but I didn't expect it to be as good as it has been. So yeah, that's, I think that's that's really important. As you grow, it does create, it's like you've got people coming from all different areas and then all different companies and things like that. So it will create more, more problems, more, more tension, I suppose. But ultimately, you've got to just live with your values and belief that you're doing the right thing. You believe in the best in people, that you're, you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, and like you said, you're going to be constantly evolving anyway. There is no standing still. And maybe the other thing then is if you're, say, attracting like-minded people, that don't want that won't be mollycoddled and are happy with that and you know like that buzz are you in danger of groupthink or becoming a clique or not being inclusive somehow yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a great question i suppose the way that we we frame it is more around shared values and so it's not necessarily saying that you have to think or act or be exactly like us. The, the prerequisite is you have to be comfortable managing yourself. Like that's that's ultimately for, for us, like that's what you have to be able to do. So we say to people, you, you, if you if you want to be in a place where you are going to be managed, the people are going to tell you what to do or show you how to do things and, and really kind of just push you into those different places. That's not really for, for you then. That's like that's absolutely fine. Like move elsewhere and find that somewhere else and that does happen from time to time through the recruitment process people actually find out that maybe it's not quite what they want or actually it's going to be harder than they want it to be and actually if they've got the option between medico where actually it's going really hard because <laughs> it's not easy managing yourself isn't easy and, and having all that responsibility and accountability it's, it sounds great it is great but it's also it's also difficult um, so if they've got that choice between the hard or actually this is a bit easier. I'll just sit into the existing system in this place and just get along with it there. Like that, that's that's better for them. But the prior recruitment is just about finding people that, that may meet our values, that, that want to support and inspire, want to have trust in other people, want to take on more responsibility. And we just make sure that, that we, I suppose the vetting process is just around that. Um, seeing the people that can be open and honest with us and just have those kind of difficult conversations as well. Mm. 
No, it's it's really fascinating, Luke. And thank you so much. Thank you for being so generous with your time and and sharing and being open and transparent <laughs> as well with us. And if somebody did want to connect with you, Luke, what's the best way? Yeah, so you can get me through LinkedIn, uh, on Twitter, uh, email as well. Um, I'm not sure if you can share my email or not with the with the notes. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. But happy, that. happy yeah. to. Yeah, happy for people to go straight to my email if need be. But yeah, always up for a conversation with people who are up for changing things or looking at things. And I follow Luke on Twitter and he's well worth following on Twitter. I can say that. Uh, <laughs> and I absolutely loved, I was going through Twitter the other morning and one tweet just stuck out and I laughed <laughs> out loud. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen very often, but those moments of inspiration, but uh, <laughs> every now and then one comes up. And it was basically Luke was asking, oh, what, what, what it was it? Who's going, who's worried about remote working? Oh, yeah, it was, um, here's the list of people that are um, trying to get people back to the office and it was micromanagers, that's it, or something like that. But <laughs> but I suppose that that the micromanagers, like you say early on, people don't start out like that. And no. yeah, and I guess if you can catch yourself, if any of this resonates with you and you're thinking I'm heading in that direction, there's hope. <laughs> and if you work for a micromanager, <laughs> there's hope as well. But, yeah, um, and I, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be really honest. Like, I was a manager, and I don't think I was a particularly good manager. So I can, I can reflect on that period of time and think actually, this is people fall into this trap of, of management and actually do the wrong things and react in the wrong way. Um, and I'm exactly the same. So I can see why it happens. Luke, thank you so much for your time, and I'm sure I could just keep going for for hours. But <laughs> I wish you all the very best, and I look forward to seeing Redico into the future and all that you're doing. It's amazing. Thank you. No, thank you. It's been great to be on and just discuss this. So thank you very much. Imagine if every day you enjoy work, express yourself fully, and exceed expectations. I believe we're all entitled to have this and that the future of work life will be changed by those who strive for and create more fulfilling work lives for themselves, their colleagues, their teams and wider organisation. Thank you for listening today and if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and share it with someone you know who is curious like you.